the world of Islam, culture, religion, and politics. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Amin Tais. Today, I will try and introduce the listener a little more to the hadith. We had talked quite a bit about hadith before, and we saw how within the framework of usul al-fiqh, the principles or the sources of jurisprudence, hadith came to be considered the second source after the Qur'an. In reality, hadith, as carrier of the sunnah of Muhammad, the normative practice of the Prophet, hadith was the lens through which the Qur'an itself came to be read. This is the case for a variety of reasons. One of them, as I had noted previously, is that the Qur'an does not contain a lot of legal material. Secondly, Muslim scholars needed to make sense of the many Quranic verses that were not very clear, particularly that the texts of the Quran largely did not provide a context to their pronouncements. The Hadith literature would play the role of clarifying the Quran, but would also add a great deal of legal material to the world of the young religion. I had also spent some time explaining that early on, the Sunnah of Muhammad was one among other Sunnahs that were sought by Muslims of subsequent generations. Also, Hadith, literally speech, was any kind of report, in Arabic khabar, report about an event in the past of the community. It was a term that early on was interchangeable with other terms like athar, literally trace. With time, we see that the term hadith would be almost exclusively used for reports about what Muhammad said, did, approved, or disapproved. In the last few episodes, we encountered the debates between early Muslims around how to know the sunnah of the prophet, and I had noted that ultimately, those who pushed for hadith as the vehicle of sunnah had come to dominate the field of religious thought. Not only did hadith become the second legal source, it also gained a metaphysical status. Sunnah, as embodied in hadith, came to be viewed as a second form of revelation, wahi, in a way that is highly reminiscent of the Jewish tradition, Muslim legal scholars argued that there were two forms of revelation. You might remember from one of the early episodes of this podcast that rabbinical Judaism, the form of Judaism that slowly came to dominate the world of the Jewish religion, a few decades after the tragic destruction of the Second Temple, Rabbinical Judaism was built on the premise that God had given the Israelites two kinds of revelation. 
the rabbis argued that in addition to the written Torah, God had revealed an oral Torah that was passed down through the generations orally. Ultimately, the oral Torah would be compiled and recorded in the Mishnah of Rabbi Judah the Prince and would later be commented upon in the two Talmuds, the Jerusalem Talmud or Talmud Yerushalmi and in the traditionally more prestigious Babylonian Talmud or Talmud Bavli. Similarly, the Sunnah through the Hadith would be transmitted orally and would ultimately be recorded in Hadith collections of many kinds as we will see in the next episode. Hadith proponents would argue that the Sunnah through the vehicle of the Hadith was a second form of revelation received by Muhammad. The proponents of this perspective would propose as evidence Quranic verses that while not necessarily conclusive, were still, with time and with the success of the Hadith movement, accepted within scholarly circles as indeed strengthening the authority of the Hadith. But part of making the case for the Hadith was to attempt and respond to the arguments of those who were skeptical of the Hadith as vehicle of the Sunnah of Muhammad. One such skeptical attitude was taken by the rationalist camp that saw in human reason a more trustworthy tool to guide the community than reports by individuals uh, who can basically claim anything they wanted while insisting that those were Muhammad's teachings. The proponents of hadith must have recognized that such an argument was on point, and while they rejected the claims of the rationalists, the following generations of pro-Hadith scholars would devise a science of Hadith criticism to sift through the reports and find out which Hadith reports were authentic and which ones were not. The most important element in the methodology of the Hadith scholars was the concept of isnad, or chain of transmission. The idea is that a report is only as trustworthy as the people who transmitted it through the generations. Scholars of hadith sought to collect as much information on the transmitters of reports as possible. Biographical dictionaries were written by a number of scholars starting in the late 700s, early 800s. In this fashion, they thought to be able to recognize whose life was an example of piety and quote-unquote orthodox belief and uh, truthfulness and trustworthiness and who was a liar or a heretic or even an unbeliever. The Hadith scholars also sought to check on the possibility of transmitters having met each other based on their geographical locations, travels, and lifespans. So the Hadith reports had two components. The Isnad, 
the chain of transmission and the metan, the actual content, uh, the saying or action attributed to the Prophet. So a typical hadith report would come to be in this form, X related from Y, who related from Z, that he heard the Prophet say the statement A, or he saw the Prophet do the action B, or approve the behavior C, etc. The methodology of the Hadith scholars was not interested in the metan, at least not openly, but focused on the isnad, the chain of transmission. In other words, the task of the Hadith scholar who's doing Hadith criticism was to carefully examine the chain of transmission. Is it complete? Are there any gaps? Are there any anomalies? Is it corroborated by other chains? Was everyone in the chain trustworthy? And similar questions. Here we must note that generally Sunni scholars came to view all the companions of Muhammad, the whole generation of the companions of Muhammad, as reliable and trustworthy. And they defined a companion of Muhammad, a Sahabi, as anyone who saw Muhammad, accepted Islam, and died while still a Muslim. Based on the examination of the chain of transmission, hadiths were then classified into many categories. I will mention here the most important and most used ones. Hadiths with the best chains were deemed sound, in Arabic, sahih. At a lesser level, a hadith could be good, in Arabic, hasan. A questionable chain of transmission could make a hadith weak, in Arabic, da'if. And if the chain is simply unacceptable, then the hadith is fabricated in Arabic, mawdu'ah. This methodology of hadith criticism, while certainly far from flawless, was sophisticated and very useful in cleaning up the field of hadith from thousands and thousands of fabricated hadiths that circulated within the world of Islam by the adherents of different competing theological, political, and legal orientations, each seeking to give their positions the authoritative stamp of the Prophet's Sunnah. Let me finish this episode by highlighting another form of classification of the Hadith, a classification of particular interest to theologians and legal theorists. Most of the Hadith reports were related through single chains of narrators, particularly in the first generations. These Hadith reports were thus known as a Hadith Ahad, or Hadiths of single transmission. And therefore, they were not certain, in Arabic Qat'i, but only probable, in Arabic Dhani. In contrast, Hadiths that were transmitted by multiple people in each generation up until they were recorded were considered mutawatir, mass-transmitted hadith reports, and therefore they were considered to be 
from the Prophet for certain. However, very few hadith reports, perhaps less than 10, can be classified as mutawatir or mass transmitted. Thank you for your time. I leave you in peace. <laughs>